Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 480 of the Juice Box Podcast. In today's episode, we're going to be speaking with Alex. Alex is a type one, and the way she eats is why she's here. That's right, it's another episode of How We Eat. And as you saw in your podcast player just now, today's topic, Dr. Bernstein. In the past, I've spoken with someone who eats a vegan lifestyle. Dr. Paul Saladino was here to tell us about the carnivore diet. We've had plant-based people, gluten-free, low-carb. Today is Dr. Bernstein coming up soon, keto and FODMAP. And I'm super excited to be telling you that I'll be recording one about intermittent fasting pretty soon. Mm, I'm so excited. I'm excited. I love talking about how people eat. It's interesting. Please remember while you're listening that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Please always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. This episode of the Juice Box Podcast is sponsored by Omnipod, Dexcom, and Touched by Type 1. You can learn more about Touched by Type 1 at touchedbytype1.org or find them on Instagram or Facebook. They're a wonderful organization doing incredible things for people with Type 1. I hope you check them out. The Omnipod Dash. Ooh, did you know about this? Let me tell you real quickly you may be eligible for a free 30-day trial of the Omnipod Dash. Find out at omnipod.com forward slash juice box. And to get started with the Dexcom G6 Continuous Glucose Monitor, or to find out more about it, all you need to do is go to dexcom.com forward slash juice box. I want to tell you before we start, because I don't even know how much of your name you're going to use, but... It doesn't, it doesn't matter to me, but I want to tell you that every time I see your name, I think if I was going to be like a writer, like that wrote like, like kind of like exciting, almost trashy novels, I would want, I would want your name. Like <laughs> I love it. Don't you, don't you think it just is like, now we won't tell anybody your last name and it'll be great. Nobody will wonder why, great. but anyway. So you're saying I, my name sounds like a pseudonym for like a trashy novel writer. Or something to that effect, yes. <laughs> even if I, I was, it. yeah, like writing like, um, I don't know, like th- spy thrillers even or something yes. like that. Yes, I love that. Would, that makes me happy. Would, Thank you. I would feel very good about that if that was my name and I was writing a spy thriller. Uh, awesome. Anyway, anyway uh, and then I feel like 40 years from now, Tom Cruise in his 90s would play the main character in a movie. <laughs> All right, I'll get to writing that, and I'll let you know when it gets uh, made into a movie. We have plenty of time. He's not aging, so don't worry about it. I heard heard someone say the other day, this is such a strange way to start this off, Um, but Tom Cruise is the same age um, while he's making, like, Mission Impossible movies that Wilford Brimley was in the movie um, where they all, in Cocoon, I think, or something like that. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Yes, that's that's quite the juxtaposition yeah. of characters. So you're on your balcony. Where do you live? Ish. I live in Atlanta. Oh, cool. 
Yeah. Oh, and it's March, so it must be 87 degrees there already. <laughs> no, it's in the 60s today, but the sun is out and it's beautiful. Hottest I've ever been in my life. I was in Georgia. Really? Yes. See, I grew up in the desert in southern Arizona, and I feel like that is way hotter. Maybe. I've never been there. So uh, my appendix almost a burst. Be, almost a burst. Ooh, English is going to be a problem today. My 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 appendix no almost almost burst the night before I was supposed to go to Arizona for the wow. Time. And I've and since then I've been there once, but only to fly in, like be shuttled to something, speak and fly out again. Um, gotcha. But Georgia was terrible. <laughs> what time of year did you come? Oh, it was summertime. My son was playing baseball, and mm. at its worst moment. I stood next to a telephone pole and circled it as the sun moved across the sky to stay in the small strip of shadow that that the pole made. Direct sun in the Georgia summer is pretty brutal. Almost killed me. I'm not going to lie. The boy almost died too, but I was worried about myself by then. You know, when you get into self-preservation mode and you're like, hmm. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I hear it. You know, uh, I lived in the desert for my like from 10 to 22 so my youth and then moved to Georgia and I never once had any sort of like heat stroke or anything like that until I moved to Georgia the humidity right it was yeah well it was also the hottest day of the year and I was working in an amphitheater outside in like a bowl with (laughs) indirect sunlight so you know just in a a radiator, just banging sun yeah. and heat around on you. Oh. Yeah, yeah, it was brutal. <laughs> oh, okay. Anyway, well, now that we're five minutes into this, um, can you tell me your name, please? Okay, my name is Alex. It's short for Alexandra. Alex Quinn is usually what I go by. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you were an author, you would definitely go by that for certain. Totally, yeah. totally. Yes. I just don't know why. It just every time, like your name is one because <laughs> we had to reschedule once, right? So it as it as stuff bumps around in my inbox, I'm like, that's a great name for a a book author. Um, I love it. Anyway, okay, so you're on. I'll tell you why. Well, not that you don't know, but I'm basically. I don't know if this is a secret to people, Alex. I'm not really telling you. I'm telling the people listening. <laughs> but sure. <laughs> um. I've been doing the How We Eat series through the podcast, and people have been coming on talking about the different ways that they eat, and Mm -hmm. you were recommended to me by someone else, Um, Mm -hmm. and when you emailed me to tell me how you eat, you said, you used the words Dr. Bernstein, and I was like, ooh, that's interesting, because you're the first person who's ever come out and said, I like those words. Like Some people say I'm low carb or stuff like that, but I was like, I would love this, so well, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Oh, well, that's odd, but thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, let us. Why is that odd? Well, I mean, it's just me. I'm in a room. Okay. You know what I mean? Like somebody was telling me the other day, like, like they saw like somebody's prepping to be on the show and they were nervous. And I thought, well, that's mm. so strange because I'm in Costco right now. And if you were... If <laughs> If there was anything to be nervous about talking to me, I wouldn't have to be in Costco. Like that's how it occurred to me. You know right. I mean? That's all. I think I think it's because this carries the potential for it to be more in a public eye and it's not just you and me shooting the shit on my back porch. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, I suppose I shouldn't say uh shooting the breeze. There we go. Okay. <laughs> Don't worry, I'll just cut it out. 
I'll be like, okay, cool. it'll be like shooting up and it'll get really blank from it. Um, All right. I used to do beeps. And then I realized, why am I bothering with that? It was extra time and I was bored by it. So I yeah. just take the word out now. Anyway, I, I, I'm happy about this. And yeah, the more of these I record, the happier I get about them, because I think that I think that as people, we are very inclined to get into groups. Yes. You know, get on a team wear a yeah. collar, that kind of stuff, right? Sure. And then I think you bring in this sort of extra added layer of people feeling like they're saving your life when they're telling you something, right? They feel mm -hmm. like they've been through a thing and they don't, you don't have to go through it. And this is the thing that saved me. And, and then there's somebody on the other side who's like, you're trying to take a thing from me or I have a different idea about how to right. save you. And then it just becomes tribal and it's very interesting. Sure. So, and yeah. the the potential for like dogma is enormous. And I I don't ascribe to that. Mm -hmm. I don't feel like that really helps anybody find their own way to living with type one and what it looks like for them. Yeah. No, I completely agree. And I'm I'm so I'm excited that you're uh that you're here to talk about. It. So for let's start slow with um how old were you when you were diagnosed? So I was three years old. And that was in 1992. Wow. I'm sorry. And, um, I'm just re remembering when I graduated from high school and feeling badly about myself. But go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. Yeah. Don't worry. My my partner is 12 years older than me. So we have conversations like that a lot. Yeah. No kidding. You just, I mean, you just threw out a number. You were three years old, like three years after I graduated from high school. And I was like, oh, geez. <laughs> mm. Um, well, hopefully I don't make you feel old during this conversation <laughs> other than that. No, I don't worry about that if you do. I that might be more on me than you. So, <laughs> so you're 3, you're diagnosed. I mean, 30ish years ago, right? Mhm. Mm okay. Um it'll be 29 years this year. Mm -hmm. And your parents are obviously on board taking care of you, but you're in god 30 years ago was like regular and MPH days, right? Yeah, um the analogs hadn't become available yet. So yes, I was on regular and NPH, but um, I'll tell you this. So my mother's two older brothers both have type one. Okay. And it wasn't, um, it wasn't unfamiliar to my family. Um, so my mom was actually the one who caught it first because she grew up with brothers who had it. So she recognized, you know, the symptoms and took me to the doctor and, you know, made sure that they got the testing done that needed to be. Mm -hmm. Well, that makes sense that she saw it. She doesn't have, does your mom have any autoimmune stuff? As far as we know, she does not, but she has had several rounds of skin cancer and breast cancer. Um, so I don't, I don't think she got the autoimmune stuff, but pretty much every woman in my family on both sides has either an autoimmune disorder or cancer or both. <laughs> so I find, my genetic lot was doomed. <laughs> I was just going to say, well, I was just going to say, it's incredibly interesting how people who live with chronic illness see the, um, the roll of the dice of life. You were just like, yeah, she didn't get diabetes, but she got something else. We're all screwed over here. It is. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. No, it's, um, it's a telling statement because 
there's no other world where I would say to somebody like, hey, does your, you know, you have a car. Does your mom have a car? And you were like, no, she doesn't have a car, but she does have an airplane. And it's, <laughs> you would never say that, right? <laughs> right, yeah. right. But it feels very connected. And it's, um, and I don't know that I don't feel the same way, honestly. Like mm. It feels like you got bit by some sort of a bug that other people don't get bit by or something like that. For sure, yeah. yeah. Definitely. You know, I've actually I've thought about that a lot over my life um, just because, you know, I have family members with it. And one of my uncles died from type one complications. And I really feel like. And this is going to get a bit meta here, but like my role here is to change the story and really take my life with type one and do something with it you know like i'm here to live well and to you know take that story and turn it around and prove that i don't have to die from complications or be like riddled with them you know i can live a good life and still have type one yeah without giving away too much of somebody else's details did your uncles not have a good go of it Mm. so they were diagnosed in the 60s um and blood sugar monitoring was you know the urine dipsticks back then so they didn't have the tools to manage blood sugars when they were young the way that we do now um so you know i didn't imagine because to be honest you were born in a time where it still wasn't mm -hmm. terrific either yeah 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 totally i mean i know that i had it a little better than they did just because we had blood glucose monitors by the time I was diagnosed, but I think that they and my uncles and I were still on the same types of insulin, you know, 30 years later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. I, well, yeah. such a leap now. Like, For sure. Yeah. 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 Just it's a, a crazy difference. I'm going to revisit that idea while we're talking at some point. But okay. um, so your mom is just I can't. By the way, I'm trying to imagine using that regular and MPH and just like thinking like this baby's on a schedule. It has to eat at certain times. Um, yeah. And because what, yeah. I mean, what are you going to do? You're three. You're going to be like, Hey, I feel dizzy, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. And I, I can clearly remember as a child, you know, having these like horrible low blood sugar episodes in the middle of the night where I just wake up just totally disoriented, like vomiting and, and just, you know, out of my mind. And, my parents would have to like force me to drink orange juice or whatever they could get me into me at the time. And to this day, I still can't do oranges yeah, <laughs> like <laughs> being forced to drink orange juice while in that state as a child. So many times I, I, I can't eat them. No, um, I, I understand. I really do. Yeah. I had a, I had a piece of chicken uh, from a certain place right before my appendix went. I can't believe that came up twice. And um. I, <laughs> And I still can't like stomach the smell of the chicken, even though it had literally nothing to do with my appendix. Sure. But man, those associations get deep down in your psyche and they don't go away. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So you, it's, it's a tough go. Do you, Mm -hmm. do you have context for your health outcomes? How did you measure them back then? Or did people, or did just being alive and not dizzy constitute a win? (laughs) I think, you know, as a toddler, it was basically like, are you alive and are you happy overall? You know, we're, we're cool with that. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I don't 
have too much data on like specifics of blood sugars and A1C from when I was a child. Um, I'm sure I could go back and dig it up, but I don't really, I don't really have that information. But um, my parents have told me that, you know, my A1Cs when I was a kid were mostly like in the eight to 10 range. Mm-hmm. Um, it got up to as high as 14 when I was a stubborn teenager who couldn't be bothered to take care of myself. Um, but I've slowly and steadily improved things since then. Good for you. Isn't it interesting too, that no matter where you start, the idea of ignoring it just seems to exponentially make it grow. Like, like there's like, I mean, what were you really ignoring as a teen shooting twice a day and eating Mm -hmm. at certain times? Mm -hmm. That was it. Right. Um, when I was a teenager, Humalog had come out uh, and I was on Lantis as well. So I don't, it wasn't just, you know, twice a day injections and a rigid eating schedule by that time. Cause I think I was like maybe five or six when the analogs became available and they put me on those as soon as they could. Oh, good. Okay. And yeah. So you just, can you describe a little bit about what it means to just ignore it when you're a teenager? Sure. Um, so I think for me, I just deeply rejected the notion that I had to do this. Um, and it it was just, it was painful for me because I didn't want to deal with it. And I didn't want to be, you know, the freak with needles because that's how my peers viewed me when I was a child. And I got bullied a lot for my diabetes, um, had a lot of like really not pleasant experiences with my peers about my being the only person in the entire school who has type one. Um, So by the time I got to be a teenager, I was like, F this, I do not want to deal with it. I'm weird enough as it is without this in my life. So, you know, I just don't care. I don't want to, you can't make me. And, um, I was, I'm a stubborn person. (laughs) And when I was a teenager, I was even more stubborn and, you know, you couldn't get me to do something I didn't want to do. Um, so at that point, my parents were kind of like, okay, well, if you don't take your insulin, you're going to end up in the hospital in DKA. So let's put you on the pump to at least make sure that you get something in you. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think when I was 14, they put me on an insulin pump and I am convinced that that insulin pump kept me out of the hospital from like 14 to 21. You know, I, I would not have taken care of myself at that point. I'm really Um, interested that you said it that way because I've gotten the feeling over the years talking to adults who have had type one for a long time that that is what an insulin pump was considered in the beginning. It was like, all right, this is for people who are just not going to take care of this. So we'll get them at least their basal insulin yeah. through the pump. And maybe once in a while, if we're lucky, they'll push some buttons when they eat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, totally. That was that was exactly how it was for me. Um, and I think part of my rejection of everything was because of my family history with type 1. Um, my mom's brother died when he was 37 and I was seven Mm. and he died of type one complications. And my family kind of used that 
as the example of what not to do. And they were like, you know, finger wagging, take care of yourself or you're going to end up like your uncle. So in my little seven-year-old brain, I was like, oh, I'm going to die like my uncle. So why does it matter? And by the time I hit teenage years, I was like, I can't even care. You know, if that's what my adult life is going to look like, why should I even bother? We are a third of the way to death already at at 14, right? You're just like, I'm almost there and I'm doing it. Like you're getting up in the morning and nobody's staring at you and nobody's making fun of you if you're not showing them your needles and everything. There was somebody on once, I wish I could remember their name, who told me that they had a person bullying them about their diabetes who would just say to them, die a beaties. Oh, yeah. I've heard that. I was like, wow, how... Mm -hmm. Not, I mean, try harder at the very least. Uh, but you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I just yeah, like, yeah. can you imagine being? I mean, I, I almost said, can you imagine being a kid? I'm like, yes, Scott, I can I imagine. Can. I just told you a story about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can, yeah, for sure. I mean, I can remember like I went to Pizza Hut one time with my soccer team when I was 10, and I went to the bathroom to go test my blood sugar and take a shot Mm -hmm. and I'm standing at the counter in the bathroom and drawing up my insulin. And one of my teammates walked in and saw me with a needle and just started hysterically screaming. And her mother came in and she was like, why are you screaming? She sees me with a needle. And then she starts freaking out about me in the bathroom with a needle. And I got so upset that I just like stormed out of the bathroom and I went and I got my mom and I was like, mom, I need you to deal with this. And my mom had to come in and be like, what is wrong with the two of you? You know, like she's 10. Yeah. Well, you know, 20 years later, you would have just looked at them and said, hey, Karen's calm down. Right. (laughs) Right. I got diabetes. Just chill out a second. I'd like to not. uh, I I just am trying to do my business here. Um, For sure. Yeah. You know, actually. Sorry. Go ahead. I just was going to say it bothers me when I hear that people used to get driven into bathrooms to give themselves insulin. Right. Well, you know, and that bothers me, too, because I've gotten to the point in my life where I just don't care. I, I have to do this. And if it makes somebody else uncomfortable, they can just not watch. I'm going to do it whenever and wherever I have to, because other people's pancreases are doing it whenever and wherever they have to. So, you know, my pancreas just lives in a bag that I carry around. Well, the truth is, not- too, you have to care more about your health than you do about what other people think. It just exactly it just ends up exactly. being very important. You can't yeah. you can't just. You can't, I mean, imagine, it's so hard for me because I don't have a personality like that where um, my, my wife and I were talking the other day about, uh, she got a, she, she was looking for a car a couple of years ago, and I really thought she was going to buy a Jeep. Mm-hmm. And, and yesterday I said to her, I was really, I, I, I'm not sure how we got back on the topic. Maybe it's, you know, I'm not certain. And I said, uh, I was really surprised when you didn't buy a Jeep. And she said, yeah, I did want one. but And she started talking about the experience she was having with the salesperson and how it kind of led her out of the place. And I can't make sense of that. Like, I, if, if I had a, I, I can't explain to you, there, there'd be no situation where a salesperson could do or say or create a scenario where I would leave and then go buy a car that I didn't want because that was so mm-hmm. bad. But my wife's like, in part, that happened. You know, she's like, I was it was early in the process and I didn't, I wasn't vested enough to push through this, mm. this scenario. And I thought, Oh my God, like that would never happen to me. But, <laughs> but, sure. I, but I recognize that it's, it's a, it's a, 
a reality for a lot of people that you just, you know what I mean? And so that's why I try to say on here, the, um, that idea that I think your, your health just has to be more important to you than what other people think. You just can't care, you know, hundred percent. And, you know, I think that, um, I think that that ties in a lot to the pressure against eating low carb and following Bernstein Mm -hmm. because there's, there is like, almost vitriol against it in some circles. And, you know, you have to be steadfast in your convictions that, you know, this is a choice that I made for myself and I'm not doing it for anyone else. And I really don't care what you think. Yeah. I I'm in the unique situation where I feel like I understand both sides of this, like fight that you see happen online sometimes. And, and I don't know that there's, I don't really think there's a fight. I think there's these anyway, we'll get to it as we're talking. I think it's interesting how how it works. But no, I agree with you. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and listen, I've had enough adults on who eat low carb that mm-hmm. I there's a a commonality through your stories usually, which usually yeah. you know what I mean? And it, it is yeah, I've noticed that too. Yeah, it's it's look, I was diagnosed at a time where I didn't have a sensor that could tell me that four carbs made me go from 86 to 104. And, you know, and mm-hmm. I, we sometimes were using insulin that was inexact and mm-hmm. nobody ever told me to, you know, I, you don't pre-bolus, you know, regular and MPH. So that's not how I grew up. And then you get not stuck even, but you're just indoctrinated into this is how diabetes is handled. And then people bring you a newer insulin and that's frightening to some sure. Like you got it younger, you got Humalog younger, but, I watched a, a buddy, I watched a, a friend of mine happen to, he had to go through regular and MPH to, you know, Humalog or mm-hmm. Novalog. And it, that stuff might as well have been rocket fuel that they were putting yeah. in him. Sure. And they are, they are not the same mm. at all. Not the same, like completely different action profile, completely different effect, completely different time frame. Like it's, it's, yeah, <laughs> there's nothing. There's nothing I, the same about using that older insulin and the newer insulin. And no, insulin. not at all. And you know, I'll I'll say this yeah. to that point. When I first started following Dr. Bernstein, I had to like take everything I thought I knew about diabetes management and kind of put it in a box over there for a second, and then focus solely on learning an entirely new way of doing things. And it was really challenging for me because I had at that time, you know, 23 years under my belt. I'm going to start today with the Omnipod and tell you that you may be eligible for a free 30-day trial of the Omnipod Dash. This is an exceptional possibility for you, and I hope you check it out. Omnipod.com forward slash juice box. Get there and see if you're eligible. Now, what are we talking about here? A 30-day trial. This is a usable thing. Like, they're going to send you the dash enough for you to, I mean, you get it, right? For 30 days. It's pretty crazy. Omnipod does other stuff. Like, if you don't want to try the dash for 30 days for free or you're not eligible, you can ask them for a free, no obligation demo pod. Well, they'll just send you out one pod, but it's non-functioning. And I know you're like, well, what am I gonna do with that? 
Well, what you're gonna do with it is wear it. And you get a real good vibe for it. Like this is what it feels like to have on. You know, you, you'll notice, I mean, at least for me, when I've worn it in the past, that you just stop noticing it. And this um this demo pod is really great for that. I think they call it a pod experience kit. So you can, you know, all right, look, that's a lot, right? There's two things, but omnipod.com forward slash juice box. You may be eligible for a free 30-day trial of the Omnipod Dash, or at the very least, everyone can get a demo pod. I feel like I can hear you, and you're like, Scott, why would I do that? Couple reasons. You're on MDI and you're looking for a pump. This is a great way to try. You have a pump that has a tube on it, and every day of your life you think, I don't want this tube pump. There's so much tubing. Why is there tubing going through my underwear? Maybe that's your thought. This would be another good reason why the Omnipod is tubeless. It doesn't have tubing. Tubling? That's not a word. Tubing. It's worth looking into. Omnipod.com forward slash juice box. My daughter Arden has been wearing an Omnipod since she was four years old. She's about to turn 17. She's worn one every day. It's been a real friend in this. And I think maybe it could be for you as well. Now, another thing I don't know what I would do without is the Dexcom G6 Continuous Glucose Monitor. Being able to see Arden's blood sugar, the number, like what it is, the direction, and the speed it's moving, if it's moving, all in real time is crazy bananas. Now, I know that Arden's blood sugar right now is 127. She's having some popcorn, and we might have missed on the pre-bolus a little bit. But it's kind of all right, because we'll watch this, see what's up, make an adjustment if necessary, and have a lot of comfort doing it. Because again, I can see the speed, direction, and number of her blood sugar all of the time. I can see it on my iPhone. If I had an Android phone, I'd be able to see it on my Android phone. Arden can see it, by the way, on her phone as well. And if we wanted, up to 10 people could be watching Arden's blood sugar. I mean, I don't even know 10 people, but if I did, and I wanted them to see my daughter's blood sugar, we could do that with the Dexcom. You may be thinking about people who you'd like to be able to see your child's blood sugar, or perhaps your own. And you're thinking, oh, Scott, I see what you're getting at. It's a good idea. And you're right, it is. Now what do you do? You go to Dexcom.com forward slash juice box. And while you're out there on the internet, check out touchedbytype1.org. There are links to these sponsors and all the sponsors at juiceboxpodcast.com or right there in the show notes of your podcast player. Have you ever really looked around on that podcast player? Which, by the way, if you're listening in one, please subscribe or follow the show. So dramatic. Okay, let's get back to Alex. How do you take 23 years of thinking that this is how I do this and put it aside for a second to learn something new? It just, it's like learning a new language, mm-hmm. you know? No, it's, and it's, it, I did it, but it was hard. <laughs> people should, um, pe- people might find commonality in this idea. There are people who go from MDI to a pump, right? And, yeah. and the common, the commonality there is people will tell you, hey, that's, it's like learning diabetes all over again. Like you'll, you'll feel like you had that all worked out. And by the way, mm-hmm. all worked out usually just means there's a 
pace and a balance to your life that you're accustomed to. Not that not that mm-hmm. you're walking around with a five two A one C. You've got it all worked out. Because I would imagine someone with a five two who's MDI is like, I don't need a pump, and that would make sense to me, right? So you move well, from that. That would be me. Yeah, yeah. So you'd move from MDI to a pump, and it's like learning it all over again. Mo- it is, yeah, for sure. So the same would be from going from, you know, Humalog and you know, some needles to mm-hmm. I'm going to remove like most of the carbohydrate impact out of my life. It's like starting over again. Yeah, it yeah, was right. for sure. How long did it take I mean, you to figure it out? Oh man. So, okay. For context, when I started Bernstein, it was out of sheer desperation because I had been diagnosed with retinopathy Mm -hmm. and I was 25 at the time and it scared the daylights out of me. And I had, um, I didn't know it at the time. I, I got this diagnosis later, but I also had gastroparesis and neuropathy. So in my mid twenties, you know, showing long-term complications. And I was like, I have to do anything and everything I possibly can to make this not happen because I know where this leads. Right. And so my, my health was not great. Um, so adjusting to a whole new diet and asking my metabolism to do something that it had never done before and learning how to manage my insulin around that was enormously challenging. So I think I took about six months to just wean myself down slowly off of carbs because I tried to do it cold turkey and it made me like violently ill to the point where I thought I needed to go to the hospital. Um, so I backtracked and was like, oh, okay. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Don't do that. Did um, you have a, do you have a CGM now? And did you have one then? I don't have one now. Okay. I didn't have one when I started, but I got one shortly thereafter. Okay. Um, and I'll, I'll explain my no, stance I- on CGMs. Um, I'm allergic to medical adhesives so i had one i used it i took all the data i could possibly glean from all of that for as long as i could stand to wear it Mm -hmm. and then i got to the point where i was like i'm covered in rashes that never heal and they drive me insane and i just can't do this anymore so i got rid of it it it, yeah i have to say about that that it really is unfair that (laughs) uh, seriously autoimmune issues that that ends you up with a disease that could really be greatly benefited by something that has adhesive on it. And you might also have an adhesive allergy because of autoimmune issues. It's like a double suck, you know, it's just like, wow, thanks. Um, Trust me. If I wasn't allergic to medical adhesives, I'd probably have built my own DIY closed loop rig by now Mm -hmm. and just be like killing it. But I, I can't wear them. Like I, I, I could not figure out a way to not have an allergic reaction to it. So yeah. I got rid of it. Yeah, I understand. Did you try all the barrier creams and stuff like that? Everything. Wow, it sucks. <laughs> Everything I could possibly find. I joined groups on Facebook specifically for people who have allergic reactions to these products. Like, yeah, it's yeah. I tried everything I could think of. It and I, like- I just, it wasn't worth it. You know? feels like walking through a desert and finding a well full of salt water. You're just like, (laughs) 
this isn't fair. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yes and no, because, okay, here's my thing. Like, I, I think CGMs are amazing technology, mm. but I didn't grow up with one and I don't need it. No, you figured something um, else out. Right. Yeah. And I understand why other people feel like they absolutely need it. Right. But I, I don't, I don't have that push for myself. You know, I, I think that the data is really interesting and I find a lot of value in being able to see the trend lines and the graphs and, you know, adjust like that. But I can do that with my glucose meter poking my finger and I don't care about finger sticks. They don't bother me. I've been doing it since I was three. So, well, I would imagine also with the, the small amount of carbs that you're taking in that the variability is much less. And so you're using less yeah. insulin to stop spikes yeah. and, and you probably, and of course I say all the time, the, the less insulin you use, the less chance you're going to have of a low later. So for sure. Yeah. yeah. So you're in that, yeah. in that space. I am definitely. And I honestly, I think that's that to me, the stability that you just described is the number one thing that keeps me doing what I do because I, I, yeah, I would say that I'm sorry. One second, I'm going to tell you that I'm the, our connection is just a little bumpy, and I'm stepping on you, and I apologize. But I'll I'll finish and let you get right back to it. I think if Arden, my daughter, ate low carb, like a real low carb diet, I think I could pretty comfortably put her A1C in the mid fours. I don't think it yeah. would even be hard, honestly. Yeah. yeah. Um, I have some long term complications that make that tight control a little more challenging for me. Mm-hmm. Um. Like the the gastroparesis yep. really affects my digestion. So, uh, you know, there are some days where everything works great. And then the next day, you know, I wake up with food that I ate 12 hours ago still sitting in my stomach. Mm-hmm. And it it doesn't. I can't do anything about that except kind of do damage control. So right. I, I would love to to be able to achieve that. But I've had. I have accepted that, you know, where I'm at right now is still really, really good. Yeah. So, my, 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 my point wasn't that what you're doing isn't good. My point was that I, I know what my daughter eats a, uh, whatever she wants. Okay. So she doesn't have like a, like a limit on what kind of food she's taking in. And mm-hmm. I, I have her A1C really settled in the mid fives. And that's cool. Yeah. And like Saturday, she, you know, got up and last minute said to me, can you go to the corner? to the bagel place and get me a blueberry crunch bagel, uh, mm. have them toast it, put butter on it. And I was like, and she was on her way to a lesson. She's taking, sew- mm. she's taking sewing lessons. I don't know if I should say that here. Or if she'd be anyway, she's taking. Sewing no, that's lessons. Awesome. And so, um, I roll out, I grab the, you know, as I leave, I think her blood sugar is about 94. Yeah. And I said, okay, I'm going to go. I'll be back in like 20 minutes. Just bolus 10 carbs right now. So she puts mm-hmm. in a little bolus, gets some insulin working. As I'm driving back and fairly comfortable, I won't be killed in a car accident. I text <laughs> her again and I say, you know, bolus this much now. And mm-hmm. um, and we we stayed on top of that bagel for the first, I don't think it came back to try to bite us again for maybe about three hours. And mm-hmm. then you, I used the CGM data to say to myself, okay, here comes the second round of this bagel. And then right. you hit it again and it, it stops it from spiking again. And mm-hmm. so like given that, that, you know, a five and a half is amazing. But if you took away all those carbs and how I understand how to use insulin, I just mm-hmm. think that it would, 
I don't yeah. think I'd, I don't think I'd have trouble with it. I think it would kind of be, uh, it might be easy, honestly. So yeah, for yeah. sure. It, it really takes a lot of the cognitive processes out of things. Mm. Like I don't, I don't have to pay attention like that. And I do just because I want to, right. <laughs> um, I like keeping on top of things and being proactive about stuff, but you know, I, I bolus right before I eat, I check again an hour later and I'm usually like pretty dead on right where I was before I ate something. Yeah. And I really appreciate that stability in my life because it allows me to do other things. And that's, what's most important. There's you know? a calm to it. I would imagine. Oh man. Yeah. So I was, um, I was started to tell you a story earlier, but, um, so when I had been following Dr. Bernstein for a couple months and had really like hit my stride with it and started understanding what the hell I was doing, um, I was at work one day and I tested my blood sugar and it was in the 90s. And I stopped and I thought about it and I realized that my blood sugar had been in the 90s consistently for over a week. And that was the first time in my entire life that I had ever felt that. And I just cried. Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting teary eyed now thinking about it because it's still such a profound moment for me, you know? Like I had never ever experienced that kind of internal stability before. Yeah. And it just, it was like somebody hit me over the head and I just started crying happy tears and like my boss came over and she was like, are you okay? And I was like, no, 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 it's a good thing. It's a good thing. I'm healthy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but at 26 for the first time in my life, yeah, like that, I like, there are no words to describe how profound that was for me, even though I'm doing my best right now. Well, I can't but, imagine. Honestly, it seems like it would have been, it would have been like a moment where you saw the sun for the first time, right? Just, yeah. just amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it well, was. It was so profound. And having experienced that, I was like, oh, man, I'm, I I cannot go back to how my life was before. Yeah. I can't. So we don't really. So I have some theories about the world. Um, I think that media socially, the social kind, um, is incredibly valuable because without social media, no one would ever hear your story. I wouldn't be able to talk about the things I talk about. And at the sure. same time, it opens up avenues for people to, I always think it's be scared and then mm -hmm. react to the fear. Like that's how, mm -hmm. it, how it seems to me. You hear something that's uncommon or different to you and your brain immediately goes for, oh, well, what about this or this? You know, like yeah. it, it's just, it's, I mean, it's how my brain works. I work backwards from no. Like my, <laughs> like my kids could come to me and say, Hey dad, we have a foolproof plan to make a hundred dollars today. And I would go, no. <laughs> and then mm -hmm. I would ask, and then I would ask questions and it, to see if they could get me off of no. Um, sure. Some people are, you know, not like that, but I think that in social media you get, you get shown things that are so far from how you think that it can be mm -hmm. shocking. And when yes. I, when I see it, I'm always like, Oh, that's interesting. Like somebody mm -hmm. does something like this, but that's not, that's not common for everybody. No, it isn't. So, and I think that knee jerk reaction, um, really prevents people from 
accessing things that could actually help them. Yeah. And and it's interesting too, the things that you'll be able to believe and the things you'll be able to disbelieve. Like, like I'm going to just tell you right now, like, I don't think my daughter would ever eat low carb. Okay. And, mm-hmm. and that's neither here nor there for this conversation for us. Um, because what I see people do is a number of different things and you've probably seen them all too. Um, I eat low carb and my blood sugar is super stable. I've been, I was in the nineties once for two weeks eating just protein is not healthy. I'm assuming you've heard that. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and and then you think, well, how do you know? (laughs) Like, you're like, so, so you heard eating just protein is not healthy that you believe I tell you I'm eating just protein and look how well I'm doing that you disbelieve. That's right. got nothing to do with protein and the health of protein. It's No, that's just cognitive dissonance rearing its ugly head. Yeah. It, it's just very interesting. Like, I'm going to disagree with this now because it's different than mine. And uh-huh. to go deeper, not to make everybody think too deeply about themselves because that can be painful sometimes. <laughs> but I think what it really says is, oh, gosh, what if I'm doing it wrong? Oh, yeah. And hurting myself. <laughs> or what if I'm doing it wrong and hurting my kid? And then you don't want to feel that way. So then you have to fight the other person because this is the thing you're doing. Now, I'm not saying it. I'm not saying eating carbs is hurting anybody. I obviously don't feel that way because, you know, my daughter is doing it. Um, Right. No, but I understand what you're saying because people want to feel like they're doing the best thing they can for themselves or their children. And when presented with information that might possibly contradict that idea can be painful Mm. that they have to admit that, Hey, maybe I could be doing better, even though I thought I was. It's because there's no time machine and, and you're, and you're running towards, listen, we are all running towards our death. Okay. I don't mean to be too like deep here, but if, if you have been making decisions for the past 10 years that have been running you faster to that end, and suddenly you, you realize, Oh gosh, this is wrong. Mm-hmm. Do you put your head down and run faster because you don't want to feel badly about what happened? Or do you look up and stop and go, okay, maybe I should be doing something differently? And again, I'm not making that discer- that discerning comment about low carb and not low carb. I'm just telling to tell you why people react the way they do. Sure, you, you sure. Know. And, you know, I, I've run into that enough times that I, I recognize that mm-hmm. pattern. And, you know, everybody deals with new information differently. Yep. And and I'll say this too, because of the internet again, the internet mm. draws in lost lost people and new people in, uh-huh. in, in health space all the time, right? I, either I need an answer, maybe these people will have it, or um, you know, I'm brand new at this, I don't know what I'm talking about, let me see if I can go find out. So mm-hmm. when you keep bringing in the new people over and over again, they keep having the same reactions because they're at the same space in their progress. Right. That's why it seems like people are always arguing about the same things. Not because the world is overwhelmed with people who are carb versus no carb or Republican versus Democrat, but because these people are constantly brought together for the Mm -hmm. first time around this. I mean, you're in your thirties. I'm almost 50. Mm. It's comical around political season to hear people talk about politics as if it is a brand new thing that just sure. happened for the first time, right? <laughs> sure. Yeah, or, totally. Or anything, really. Like, you know, racism. You're like, oh, my God, there's racism? <laughs> I've known. I've been alive longer than you have. I've been in this space longer. But when people first find out about it, 
It's so shocking. And by the way, in some worlds, it's the lighting to see how motivated they are to, mm-hmm. to do something. It's amazing. It's, as an older it person, is. you look back and you go, look, young people, some energy. Thank God. Get in there and scream about racism. We need that. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. Um, totally. You know, I I have that same mindset when people start talking about we need a cure. I'm like, all right, get it. Yeah. I don't care. <laughs> no, you're right. We definitely need one. And if you get it, call me. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've already been the, at this. In part. the meantime, I I've been there. I've done that. I've gotten over it and I have better things to concern yep. myself. With. I I've already been at this part and now yep. and now you're at that part and great. But the problem is, is that when people look inward, They'll say things like, well, we're as divided as we've ever been. Mm-hmm. I mean, or, or, or I'm sorry, I've misspoken. I, I think we're as divided as we've ever been. People are like, this is as divided as we've ever been. And I don't think ah. that's true. I think that it's all been the same forever. There's mm-hmm. just more people. When I, I think that it's more that we're now aware of all of the opinions as opposed to, you know, existing inside of an echo chamber exactly and the the internet really brings all of the opinions together yes and that's why you get so much infighting and argument and it's like look we all have our own experience and have drawn our own conclusions from it and all of us are operating from a place where we think we're right your friend circle is built of people who you either feel superior to or agree with Sorry to tell you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, it no. <laughs> like, well, you never notice some people just like to feel like they're in charge of the friend circle. Yes, and so they put themselves with people they feel like that's reasonable for them to do. And mm-hmm. and but my my bigger point, not to get, I don't want to go down a different rabbit hole. But um, but the idea so is, many. yeah, yeah, you bring you you surround yourself with people who agree with you. And Mm -hmm. so when you hear of an outside influence, everybody poo-poos it. And suddenly you don't hear about the outside influences any longer because you're so surrounded with people who agree. And then the internet, to your point, makes it impossible to avoid other people's opinions. Sure. And then we say stupid things like, oh, my God, we're as divided as we've ever been. We just have more – the world's not a more dangerous place. It's not a more racist place. It's not a more anything place. It's – you're just aware of it now. In, mm-hmm. in 1949, if there was a tornado in Kansas, you did not know about it if you lived in New York. Right. That kind of stuff. So, right. oh. so, so back to carb versus no carb. I think what can happen, ready? We'll play like, um, we'll take sides. Okay. And then we'll, we'll have a little conversation. You be the low carb person because you're doing it already. Um, my kids just diagnosed. I feel like normalcy has been taken from them. You have been saved by eating a low-carb lifestyle. Someone Mm -hmm. that comes from your perspective swoops in, sees this newly diagnosed person, and thinks, I can save them all the pain that I went through. Mm -hmm. Right? And then then you come in, you say, uh, Dr. Bernstein, and other words that, you know, mean low-carb, and and their their feeling is either, oh my God, I'm so scared by this, I'm going to go try that, or you can't, take my kids normalcy from me and cupcakes at their birthday. Right. 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 Yes. I would agree with that. And I'm actually pretty active in a newly diagnosed parents of type one kids group Mm -hmm. for that reason. Um, But not because I want to prove that I'm right, but just because there is so much 
knowledge of managing diabetes that you have to wrap your head around and the learning curve is extremely steep. And, you know, a lot of people have never even been exposed to type one until their kid is diagnosed. And then they're just confused and they have no idea what the F they're doing. And so I come along after almost 30 years and I'm like, Hey, you're going to be okay. And here's what I've learned about how to live with this stuff. Mm And I'm not there to prove that I'm right, but I think that mentors are extremely important with this kind of thing. Yeah. And, you know, I had them growing up. My mom's two older brothers were type one. So I had a family member I could call if I wanted to, to just be like, this is happening. And, you know, I think we need that. But I think you're right too. Like the don't take my kids last sense of normalcy away from them is is a really powerful driving force right for sure and then they'll hear all kinds of different things if you if you came to me and said that privately like forget the internet if you came to me and said oh my god normalcy it's gone blah blah i'd say hey look i think that there's a way for you to eat a cupcake and for it not to make your blood sugar crazy and lead to a bunch of long-term issues Mm -hmm. and and if you start laying those things out like you said they're overwhelming so yes, I, if you understand the, 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 the place I came from, cause we have a pretty firm understanding of where you came from. So the place I came from was I had a kid with diabetes, no real attachment to it. Nobody told me how to do it. I started a blog where I was talking about it. And so I was watching it happen and seeing what I needed to happen differently. Then I figured out how to make it happen differently. And then mm-hmm. I thought, okay, here it is. <clears throat> Excuse me one second. <clears throat> The spring, I'm the the pump. Mm. Um, here here's this stuff. Read it if you want. I don't care. Doesn't matter to me. It's here if you right. want it. And then I watched it help people, mm-hmm. and I thought, okay, why is it not helping people faster? Well, it's not as digestible as it needs to be. I can break this down farther and farther and farther into simple to understand concepts, and I feel like I've basically done that by now. And so mm, yeah. then you go to audio. And it turns out it's way easier to listen to this kind of stuff than it is to read about it, my, my perspective. Yes. And yes. and so now you see it help one people, it helps 10 people, it helps 100. And then once you get to the 10,000 and the 20,000 and you start having millions of people listening, then you go, okay, this, That's real, some power. this works, right? Like, so keep it simple. Like, keep mm-hmm. the idea simple. And mm-hmm. now, now I'm completely comfortable telling you that I could see somebody get diagnosed, be lost, and inside of those same handful of months that you're talking to, just understand it, and they can use the insulin. Mm-hmm. And so if that's what they want, I'm cool with that. If they want to use those same tools to eat low-carb or vegetarian or just fish eyeballs, or I don't give a what people eat. <laughs> like, 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 I so don't care. It's it's hard for you to wrap – it might be hard for you to wrap your head around. I genuinely don't care what people do. I just, yeah, I don't either. Right. I just want them to be healthy as they can be and as happy as yes. they can be, whatever that yes. is. Yes. Same. Yeah. Yes. So, you know, you so. mentioned tools. And honestly, to me, that is the most important thing that I got from reading Dr. Bernstein's book and, you know, listening to his teleseminars and YouTube videos and stuff. It, it wasn't the, you know, the regimen to do this, do that. It was here are the tools to understand how to make these things work for you. Yeah. You know, how, how do you 
manipulate the insulin dosing to match what you're going to eat or your activity level and how to do basal testing and cover meals. Like those were essential skills that I didn't learn in that way until I was like 26. And I think those are, those are more important to me than, you know, cut out the carb, only eat protein and non-starchy vegetables. Like, I mean, if you can learn how to understand the insulin and how to interpret the data you've got, like that's the leg up you need. That's exactly what I say all the time. Just to understand how the insulin works. I tell people type one diabetes is about understanding how insulin works and moreover the timing and amount that you should use. You need yep. to have your basal right, understand how to pre-bolus meals and the difference between the impacts and different carbs. And that's pretty much the whole game right there. Yeah, for yep. sure. And protein. Right. And then you go eat protein if you want, get fat and protein. And you could get a rise later from that kind of stuff. It's, I mean, but at its basis, if you were, like I always say, like if I was falling off a cliff and you're like, Scott, the secret to diabetes, I'd just scream those four things out before I splattered on the ground. <laughs> and, and so for I, sure, for if, sure. I, if I was falling an extra 500 feet, I'd be like, and fat and protein will make your blood sugar rise two hours after. <laughs> like, right. right. And it's, <laughs> but I just don't see. I well, I I'm lying. I do see, I do see how people get embroiled in the thing. I do see how the thing looks bigger than it is, mm-hmm. and I understand people's fervency behind it because sure. I imagine that the way you feel when you see somebody say, "I can't control my blood sugars, my A1C is ten, is the exact same way that I feel when I see somebody say it. Yeah, yeah, right. for sure. Because I've been there and I know what that feels like, and. I- I want those people to have that same profound moment of realizing that stability that I had because it changes your life. And if you want to do that by eating blueberry crunch bagels, like get after it, you know, but let's figure out how to make that work for you. hundred percent. I don't just don't care what people eat. I care if they're healthy and I'm thrilled that you're the one that ended up here because, um, because you're you have the exact you have my aesthetic you and my vibe are exactly the same on this <laughs> yes coming totally. from two completely different places as far as the the input of what food is mm-hmm. and and that that's why I think that's exciting and that's why I want people to hear conversations like this because you're not mad at Alex because she eats the way Dr. Bernstein describes and by the way the man should be lauded for figuring out what he did because right, right? <laughs> especially at that time Yes. When the tools were what they were as far as insulin was and technology and everything, he really figured out a thing that saved people. Like, listen to you, right? You did what you were told to do, and you have gastroparesis and other issues coming along. And if you don't meet this man's ideas, I got to think your heart starts getting funky in your 40s, right? Is that pretty right. much it? Yeah. Yeah. Right? yeah. 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 Totally. I mean, I started to go blind when I was in my 20s. Mm. Like, if I hadn't found Bernstein's methods, I would probably not have any eyesight left. Yeah. And and that's profound. It is. Yeah. yeah it it really, really is. So you know, I understand if if it's not the choice that somebody else wants to make, but it is the choice that made my life better. And that's just the message I keep blasting out into the ether. <laughs> it's yeah. like this works yeah. oh, for I... me. Okay. It worked for me. Hundred percent. I say all the time. If if you listen to this podcast, and then go eat low carb. Actually, there are some pretty 
successful low carb eaters that listen to the podcast. And I mm-hmm. mean, their, their health is a reflection of, of yes. their success. It's amazing. For sure, um, for sure. It doesn't, you know, it, it takes a while because dogmatic might be one way to think of, it, but everybody just gets on a team. Like all of a sudden, if you say Bernstein out loud, that just means you're some militant, no carb eating person. And if, Oh, I know. <laughs> and I didn't recognize Alex until more recently that if somebody said, Oh, there's a podcast, they say bold with insulin. That meant that I think you should eat everything in the world. And mm. I was like, I don't think that I've never even said that, but it's, I'm sure that there are things attached to Dr. Bernstein and other people that they've never said or intended out loud, just like it happens to me as well. You know, yeah, it sure. just, it's for sure. It's I mean, there are reaction. some groups on the internet where you mention Bernstein and they will mute you and kick you out. Yes. You are not allowed to share the podcast on almost every Facebook group that exists. If you That's even wild. talk about it, it just gets you like shut down. And then if people come back to my Facebook page and say, hey, I tried to, you know, somebody had a thing and I said, oh, you should try this podcast. I got kicked out. If they start talking about it on my Facebook page, people from that Facebook page will come and ask me, please stop them from talking badly about my Facebook page. And I'm like, you guys have way too much free time. <laughs> just way too much free time. Um you know, I mean, like, I love talking about diabetes because I enjoy the intellectual exercise behind all of it. Mm-hmm. But like, as far as my day to day stuff, like, I don't have time to care like that. Yeah. Well, and, you know? well, I'll tell you as a person who's, you know, who created the thing that we're talking mm-hmm. about, right, is that mm-hmm. it took me, I had to swallow hard the first time I saw it happen. So imagine... I have I've always had a, pri- a a public Facebook page, and it's always just sort of been like, "There's an episode out. Here are the links." I don't put, you know, like I'm a 50 year old guy. I'm not really into Facebook. I don't know if that's obvious or not, but um, sure. I'm just like, you know, here it is. And one day, listeners said, "Could you make a private group because we'd like to talk more about like like management stuff?" And I was like, "Yeah, sure." I said, "But I'm not going to moderate it, and I'm not your mom, yeah. you know." So I made it, and there it is, right? And today, as you and I are talking, I think it's about ready to go over like 10,000. Like, and it's incredibly active, like 85% of the people are active, like every, it's amazing how many people are in there, right? It's very nice. But the first time someone came in and somebody said, hey, I'm having this issue, what should I do? And someone left a link for something that wasn't the podcast. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm not the only person with information about this but i do have an episode about this and it's hard not to jump in and be like hey i see you're directing them over here but what about episode 295 you know and 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 it took me a little while i didn't do it but i i laid back and i'm like this doesn't matter if they go somewhere else and find out about it it doesn't matter as long as they're okay so people will will say you should try this low carb thing or you should try this or you should try that. And I'm like, cool, that's fine. Just, I want everybody to be okay. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. but for sure. I also feel like my approach is, is all information is valid, but not all information is applicable. Sure. So, you know, I want to be aware of all the ways in which people go about doing things. And, you know, I think that there's just as much merit in, you know, protein focused, uh, low carb eating for Bernstein as there is in the, you know, whole foods, plant based, no fat thing. Yeah, I wouldn't make that choice. I don't agree with it, but it exists and I can't deny that it exists. So 
at least I can be aware of it and and learn enough about it to understand why somebody would make that choice. Yeah. If you ask me my personal opinion, I think that rest- restricted is not the right word. Specific specific eating is has a likelihood of falling apart over time, no matter what mm-hmm. it is. Like if I, if I told you I was going to eat ice cream every day, I could probably make it like a day and a half. And I'd be like, oh, Christ, I can't eat ice cream every day. You like, know, OK, yeah. so I wrote out some talking points for myself before we started this. Perfect. And nice. the word restriction is one of the things I wanted to talk about yep. because restriction and deprivation get thrown around a lot in the conversation about eating low carb. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that sort of takes away the autonomous choice of the individual. If you if you look at it as I choose to eat this, I consciously am aware of what I am about to eat and I am deliberately making this choice for myself for an intended outcome. Yep. Then you're not restricted and you're not deprived. What's the word then? So help seriously, here's a here's a real world issue. If, mm. I, if I go to a thing and I speak at something, I have about three sentences they put in a blurb. Scott Benner is the host of the Juicebox podcast, blah, blah, blah. His daughter's A1C has been between 5'2 and 6'2 for seven years without any diet restrictions. Now, that's mm-hmm. those are all the words I have. I get that the word restriction is not great, but how do I say she eats anything she wants without mm-hmm. using that? Like, what's the word I need? That's a good question. See, that's the And problem. I honestly, I don't have an answer to that. Yeah. Um, you know, because I don't mean it the way you just said it, sure. but I get why you heard it that way. Right. You right. Know. For sure. I mean, I don't know. Does does, you know, telling your kid, regardless of whether they have diabetes, no, you can't subsist only on grilled cheese and candy every day. Like, mm-hmm. is that restrictive or is that just like parenting for better health? hundred percent. You know? Yeah. And it. Do you think that when I told you I used an example of the bagel that my daughter eats bagels every day? Mm-hmm. No, because she doesn't. Like she has bagels like every once in a while. I just know how to bolus for them. Like they're right. you know the day before she had a um a chef salad. <laughs> so it's mm-hmm. you, you know like it really is. Um, and I try to be careful too when I talk. This is the one thing that I it took me a minute to say um in the podcast, but I I finally saw how important it was. I started telling people, look. Just because you've learned to bolus for tiramisu doesn't mean you should eat it every day. Like, don't confuse good blood sugars with good health. Yes. Right? Yes. I wholeheartedly and adamantly agree with that. That's all. I I also feel like, you know, just because you can eat the tiramisu doesn't mean that you should have a boatload of insulin floating around in your system. Like, those lead to long-term and potentially short-term like detrimental consequences. And, you know, so I can also make a tiramisu out of ingredients that don't cause me to have a boatload of insulin in my system and the potential for a major spike and then drop later. Right. And that's where you start getting into the weeds and it's hard to like sort through the whole thing. Cause I've had very respected people on here that said that, that have said that using more insulin is not dangerous. And they're mm. not connected to a pharma company or anything weird like that, right? And at the same time, 
I mean, if you unbalance the insulin and have a whole bunch left over when the impact of the carbs goes away, you are going to drop down really low. So that's oh, the, sure. the, sh the short term you're talking about. I, I also feel like the podcast does a pretty good job of describing how to not let that happen. Um, mm -hmm. But um, at the same time, I would be lying if I didn't tell you that my favorite brownies are a gluten-free mix that is made by like King Arthur Bakery. I like oh, yeah. the, I like them better than brownies that you would make with flour. And, right. and at the same time, I mean, they're not low carb or anything like that. I'm just trying to use the example of like alternate ingredients can you sure. know, can sometimes make the same exact thing. Um, sure, sure. I think I think that choosing the alternate ingredients part is something that kind of gets left out of the conversation. Like mm -hmm. when you bring up low carb, what I find most common is people hear what they can't eat. And they're sure. like, but if you take away my bread and my pasta and my potatoes and my cake, what's left? And, you know, I had to go through that mental shift, too. And when I first went low carb, I made myself a promise. And I said, you know, my food has to taste good. It has to look good. And it has to be good for me. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, I will set myself up for failure. Right. So how can I make these changes in such a way that I still enjoy my food? And I mean, I've been eating low carb for six years now, and I still eat like brownies and pasta and cake and ice cream and, you know, lasagna. <laughs> I still have all of those things. I just change what goes in it a little bit. Right. No, I, I don't disagree. If anyone listening has ever thought like... <sighs> I, I've heard people say like, you just get lost when you're trying to quantify something. And there's so much, I mean, you're going to be on episode, like, I don't know, like 480, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so okay. there's so yeah. many words that have been spoken already. And when you ask somebody to like, real quick, what's that juice box podcast about? I have to be honest with you. If you asked me what it was about, I can't quantify it. So mm -hmm. I don't know how someone else would. So I hear people say that, Oh, he, you know, most most often I hear people say, he talks about how to use insulin so you can eat what you want. And mm -hmm. I'm like, that's fair. And I've heard low-carb people say, he pushes carbs on people. And I'm like, that mm -hmm. seems unfair. But okay. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I also my, don't, you know. My uh, interpretation of that question is, you talk about living with diabetes. Yeah, that's it. I, I'm going to tell you right now that I don't see any other established diabetes hub. And so I, I think of the podcast as a, as a, as its own sort of media hub, right? Like it's, it's no different than a, a television channel that only has one show on, right? Uh, so right. any other established hub, whether it be in print online or audio or whatever it is, I don't see anybody else having a diversity of conversations like this. They pick mm -hmm. a thing and they stay in their lane. And I get right. that. Like, I get the fear. Like, I understand, like, sure. you know, the idea of like, People are so scared not to be canceled and stuff like that. But um, I well, just—I think also they stay in their lane because a lot of people want what they're doing to be the right way to do it. And it sort of takes out of the equation that there is no like one right way to do anything. Because and then you lose your clickbait. Yeah, that is really how it feels. I'll tell you that. The part I left out about the Facebook page thing is that my real belief, and I'm this is just me speculating, but I think that the reason most people don't want Dr. Bernstein's name or this podcast or anything else to be left in their Facebook group is because they are 
very afraid that somebody will click on a link, go find something that works for them and never come back. Mm-hmm. And I just don't have that fear. Like I, I am confident in what this podcast is. And by the way, if you don't need it or want it, that's also fine with me. Yeah, but, for sure. But that confidence comes. So it's not real confidence. It's it's I get to be confident because of how popular the podcast is. If mm, I if yeah. I had a smaller group of people listening, I I can't honestly tell you. I might be more fervently trying to keep people in my little group, but I don't feel like that personally. I have to say I don't think I would do that. Um, mm. I really I really do want people to do what works for them. But I can yeah. see the draw to I started this thing, I built this thing. I, you know, think of a think of a listener or a reader as a customer for a second. Like imagine mm-hmm. you had a gas station and the guy a guy pulls in, grabs the hose, and right before he's about to put the gas in, the guy at the gas station across the street screams over with a bullhorn, You don't want to be at Alex's gas station. It's a bad gas station. Come over here. You'd be like, you'd be like but I put all this effort to get him this close. Like you can't steal him now. Like it could feel that way. But yeah, you have definitely. to have people's better interest at the core of what you're saying and just say, all right, look, if you want to go find something different and it works for you, then I need to be happy for you about that. Yeah, for sure. That's why you're allowed to go get a second opinion when you get a diagnosis at a doctor's office, you know, go figure something out. And if you, and by the way, too, if you go out and you see other stuff and it works, that's great for you. I miss you. Goodbye. And if you go out and see it and go, I might go back to the podcast thing. Well then welcome back. Like I, no harm, no foul. Like, you know what I mean? Like take your time. For sure. You and I completely agree. I I even eat steak the way you do. I don't like a lot of yeah. stuff. I just, I'm going to make a steak. I'm going to eat the steak. I don't need it to have stuff with it. Look, I don't know if we eat steak the same way. Because I go to Costco and I get monster steaks and I put them on the grill and then eat that. Well, that's what I would do. I would go to Costco. I would get a steak. I would smoke yeah? it. I would smoke right. it and then I would sear it. And then I would cut it open and I would put a little pink salt and some cracked pepper on it. And I would eat it. What kind of wood do you like to smoke your steaks with? I just use a, um, it's just like a competition blend. I don't, I don't pick like mm. a, like mm-hmm. a, like a specific flavor. Um, cool. I'm not that far into it. Um, yeah. All right. Gotcha. But I might also, <laughs> if I'm being honest, I might make a little compound butter the day before. Um, yeah. And put it in the oh, fridge. Man. I went to the farmer's market uh, probably a couple of months ago and this guy that I go to who makes hot sauces had this thing called black garlic. Mm-hmm. You know what black garlic is? No, but I'm listening. Oh my. Okay. It's a um, fermented garlic. Basically, they just take a whole head or a bunch of them and you put it in a low heat like rice cooker and you put the lid on top and you let it ferment in that warm environment for like a month and it takes the garlic and turns it into this sort of like caramelly like raisin sort of flavor but it's got garlic notes to it and it's it's really popular in like asian dishes Mm -hmm. but it's just got this like rich depth of flavor to it that is phenomenal and you put that in some butter and put it on a steak oh (laughs) (laughs) i made i made ribeyes like i i i splurged i'm incredibly cheap so i splurged on father's day and i made ribeyes last year and yeah. I, you know, they came off the smoker. I seared oh. them. I soaked them in butter. As I was eating them, mm. I'm like, this is literally taking a year off my life. And I didn't care. I was like, this is the greatest thing ever. It must have been a pound of butter, like, soaked in the Oh, man. It was so yeah. good. It was just Worth so it. good. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> you know, I'm right there with you. Having said that, um, you know, I, I also might go make a pizza at some point. And you sure. can say whatever you want. But uh, a low-carb pizza crust. 
you it's not i can't tell you it wouldn't be good or that it couldn't be enjoyable or whatever but it's not pizza in the in my context of what pizza is so i understand like don't get me wrong man i grew up on eating regular pizza and if i could eat regular pizza and not i bet you experience terrible effects from it trust me i would yeah but i have to make choices for my long-term benefit so to me there's actually um there's a chain restaurant called blaze pizza have Mm -hmm. you ever heard of them i haven't Okay, so there's a chain restaurant called Blaze Pizza, and they have a keto crust. And I discovered this thanks to Facebook. And now we do Friday night pizza night with my stepdaughter on the regular. And it's great because it brought pizza back into my life. That's excellent. I don't yes. have it a lot, but when I have it, I, I turn it into a thing. I make dough. I cold ferment it over mm. days. And then I cook. Yeah. You know, I, it's it's an event, not a not just oh, yeah. a meal. If And having said that, if if I was a person eating pizza three times a week, I would look at myself and go, I have a problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah, totally. I need to stop. Okay. Uh, because you had notes, I'll ask you, is there anything that you wanted to talk about that we didn't? And I will tell you while you're looking that I am incredibly happy with this conversation. I thought it was. I am too. Yeah, for sure. Oh, okay. So one of my things was the social aspects of eating a particular way. Mm -hmm. Um, And this, I feel like, can translate across the board, you know, be it low carb, vegan, high carb, whatever. Um, There's a lot of, of, questions about how do you handle eating at a restaurant how do you handle parties or holidays and this kind of thing Mm -hmm. and that takes us back to one of the points we made earlier in this conversation about you have to not care what other people think yeah because when you stop caring what other people think then these questions to me become a moot point um you know if i like example i went to a thanksgiving holiday dinner with my partner's adopted brother's adopted family. (laughs) I'm not following that, but go ahead. People. I got you. (laughs) Yep. People. People I'd never met before. They live out in rural Georgia, so they're not going to eat the same way that I do, Mm -hmm. you know? And I respect that. So what I did was I brought a dish that I could eat that everybody would enjoy. And then I stuck to turkey and that. And I had a great time and everything was wonderful. And like nobody even questioned what was on my plate. Yeah. And, you know, that's how I do it at parties too. Like, you know, I'll bring a baggie of bacon in my purse and eat that at a party if I have to. Like, um, I don't know. I'm just not afraid of, of people thinking that it's weird to do what I'm doing or feel like I have to justify any of my choices to somebody else. I so, don't, I don't get, I don't get feeling that way at all about anything. Yeah. Like I, yeah. here's the way I think about it. Imagine in your mind right now, everybody's listening, all the people in the world you'd go to with a life or death situation. How many people do you really know who you'd be like, I, what you think is important, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a list of a hundred people has not popped in everyone's head. Oh yeah. I know all the people. No. Like, there's three people who you're like, yeah, this guy's bright. That one's a little stupid, but seems to make good decisions for some reason. And, and, you know, and I got a common sense friend and that's pretty much it. But yet you'll let a, you'll let a, a stranger make you feel weird about how you eat, how you look, how you smell, who you fuck. I don't understand that. Yeah, like I just I don't, don't get, get that. Right. So I mean, like 
even my own parents, when I went low carb, were like, what are you doing? And I was like, I don't care. Trust me. You know? <laughs> and when it's the internet, I don't know if you're all aware of how the internet works. You don't have to look at it. <laughs> like it's, not, it's not like it's not seared in your eyeballs. You could just look away and go, oh, look, it's not there anymore. Like you can uh-huh. literally make the internet disappear. It's as if it doesn't exist. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. I mean, isn't it funny how we have such like amazing relationships with people that like aren't in our reality like they don't exist it's a relationship through a person in your phone everybody should get the um the benefit of doing something like this once and what i mean by that is like i wrote a book one time and it was interesting to see people review it and Mm. and once you realize that somebody's gonna like it and somebody's not gonna like it and that doesn't make it that doesn't change what it is or how you felt about it or what your intention was. It's a freeing feeling. Like even with this, even with this podcast, you know, people will like joke with me all the time. Like they'll say like, I'm in my house and I'll say to my husband, the guy on the podcast said, or Scott would do it like this. And, Mm -hmm. and, and listen, I'm not, you know, I, I, I'm not, I don't know, like pick the most famous person, you know, right. I'm not being spoken about around the world with the, with the same, you know, frequency as those people. But there are sure. people saying something I said or my name out loud in their homes and I'm unaware of it. You have yeah. to be able to just think, okay, whatever. Like that's yeah. good. Like I'm, if it works for them, I'm glad if they're saying it because they don't like me, there's nothing I can do about it. Like I, like yeah. to be able to have that freedom mm-hmm. is, is I wish everybody could, could experience something that would force them to give up on caring about those things. Yeah, for sure. You know? It's, it's a much better I mean, way to be. Look, I've, I have, I don't know if you've experienced it to this level, but I've legitimately gotten death threats in my inbox about what I had to say about managing diabetes. And like it rattled me for about a day. And then I blocked that person and went on about my life. Realized they you were now gone. Yeah. I, uh, uh, well, no one's ever threatened me. And this is not a, this is not a, an, offer for you to start please don't do that <laughs> yeah no don't but, invite that but but um but i mean I, I i'll get an email once in a while it's mostly about my uh, you're gonna make me say this out loud it's mostly my personality alex like it's oh. it's i get um periodically from adults with type one generally ones who have had a tough go I don't mm. think it's I don't think it's very comfortable sometimes to hear a person who does not have type one diabetes tell you that they understand how to manage it when you are struggling with it and you have yeah. it. And and I understand that. I've and I do my best to um I do my best to make sure that people know that. Um but I get caught up sometimes in language. Like I'll sometimes I'll be doing like something with Jenny and I'll be like, so say I have diabetes and this happened. I'm just trying to set up a scenario and I like I don't mean to say I have it. Like I don't. It's right. just it's a colloquial way of speaking. You know? Right. Um yeah. and but yeah if it has happened and people have wrote really horrible notes to me and I read mm-hmm. them and I try to take from them what I think is valuable and then I let the rest of it go because uh, you can't please everybody. What am I going to yeah. do? You, you know, like you can't it, that it is what it is, right? That, yeah. um, some of my favorite reviews are the ones that are like, I love that podcast and hate that guy to me. <laughs> that's funny. I love that so much cuz here's what it says to me that the podcast is so valuable that they're willing to listen even though they hate yeah. me. I'm like that's fantastic. Right? That's so fun. All right, you that's were terrific true. and the birds behind you were an added bonus I thought. <laughs>
Are they? I love it. Yeah. Your, yes. Yours is the second episode that will have birds singing in the background, and people really mm-hmm. liked it the first time. So, uh, great. I, I thought it was very cool. Well, I appreciate you very much um, doing this. Yeah, I, I do too. Do. This is great. I really do. And I'm sorry we had some trouble like syncing up at one point, but. Um, well, that was my fault. My email was full. Well, then I'm not sorry. Yeah, no, 100% <laughs> my fault. Actually, Alex, what I meant to say is I would appreciate if you would apologize for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sorry, and you're welcome. There. Excellent. <laughs> Couple things. First, let's thank Alex for coming on the show and talking to us about how she eats. Thank you, Alex. Then let's thank Omnipod and Dexcom. Ooh, and you're not really supposed to use end twice, but I don't feel like editing this out. So end touched by type one. Check out touchedbytype1.org. Find them on Facebook or Instagram. Look into the Dexcom G6 continuous glucose monitor at dexcom.com forward slash juice box or check into those offerings from Omnipod at omnipod.com forward slash juice box. Links, of course, in the show notes of your podcast player or at juiceboxpodcast.com. Also, let me remind you very quickly. Oh, wait, I'm going to run out of music. Hold on. I'll just remind you quickly, if you're looking for the Diabetes Pro Tip episodes, they're at diabetesprotip.com or at juiceboxpodcast.com. Let me tell you this, too. If you're looking for some really great people talking about type 1 diabetes, the way we talk about it on the show, you are looking for the Facebook page for the podcast. It is, of course, completely free. Uh, I know some places like to charge you to be in their Facebook page. That seems weird to me. It's called Juicebox Podcast Type 1 Diabetes. It's a private Facebook group. There are 11,000 people in it, and it's great. It really is. It's a wonderful place to talk about Type 1. Uh, check it out. Head on over if you're on the Facebook. Last thing. I enjoyed this conversation about uh, the way Alex eats. And um, it's timely because I just saw online somebody said, I would love it if Dr. Bernstein came on the podcast. Meanwhile, I don't know if Dr. Bernstein knows about this podcast or not. I wouldn't imagine he would. Man's in his 80s. But if he did, or if somebody knew him, I have to tell you, I'd love to talk to him. It's a fascinating conversation. Even if you don't eat the way Alex does or want to eat the way Dr. Bernstein talks about, I still think it's a great, great story. And I'd love to hear it. So if you know Dr. Bernstein, get him on the podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe in the podcast app that you're listening in. Did I just say in twice? It's not important. I'm just saying, if you're listening in a podcast app and you're not subscribed or following the show, could you do me a solid and subscribe? Uh, If you are subscribed, thank you. That's lovely. Uh, Tell a friend. Tell two friends. Tell people you don't know. Grab people's cell phones when they're not looking. Open up their podcast app and subscribe to my show and then just give it back to them. I don't think that's illegal. I'm not a lawyer, so don't take my word for it. This is not like legal advice, obviously. But I would like you to do that if you could. I'm not asking you to. I'm just saying that if you told me, like if I got an email that said, Scott, I have a friend, has diabetes. I picked up his phone, opened it up, listens to all these podcasts. I was like, boom, juice box podcast. And I just subscribed. I'd be like, oh, thank you. That's how I would respond to that email. <laughs> I'd be like, thank you. And then I'd say something nice. And that would probably be the end of the email correspondence. This has gotten away from us. But anyway, 
subscribe to the podcast in a podcast player. If you listen online, it's all right with me, but come on, right? Let's get a podcast player. By the way, they should be free. I shouldn't even say a podcast player. You could listen anywhere you get audio, like Spotify, for example, or Pandora. Do people still use that? It's not the point. The point is, if you get audio in a thing, you could probably get the podcast in that thing. And by that thing, I mean an app. It's an app world, people.